Hello, welcome to This Day in Wikipedia, which is, I think, what this podcast is going to end up being named. Again, it's all kind of up in the air. Uh, my name is Sean. It is January 3rd, 2021. I just want to give a shout out to all of our listeners in Burkina Faso and wish them a happy Revolution Day today. So, as is always, we are going to talk about somebody who was born today, somebody who died today, and an event that happened today. And I found some really interesting ones, I think. So, we are going to talk about, first, Hank Stram, who was born on January 3rd, 1923. Hank Stram was the longtime coach for the Dallas Texans slash Kansas City Chiefs. And I'm not going to lie, I picked this one solely because I am a gigantic Kansas City Chiefs fan. Hank Stram was born in Chicago, went to Purdue for college. While in college, he was drafted into the Air Force during World War II. After the war was over, he came back to Purdue and he finished his education and he started a career as a assistant football coach. And he held that position until 1955. In 1959, Lamar Hunt basically recruited Stram to come coach the Dallas Texans. At this time, there were two different football leagues. There was the American Football League, the AFL, and the National Football League, the NFL. They were totally separate. They did not play against each other, and it was kind of that way for quite a while. The Texans were a pretty decent AFL team. In 1963, Lamar Hunt moved the Texans to Kansas City. And they picked up the name the Chiefs, which, contrary to popular belief, has actually nothing to do with Native Americans, and was the nickname of the time of the mayor of Kansas City at the time. His name is Harold Bartle. He was known as the Chief, and that's where the team got their name. One thing I found kind of shocking was that to this day. Hank Stram is still the longest tenured head coach in Kansas City Chiefs slash Dallas Texans history at 15 years. He also has the most wins of any Kansas City coach in history, which completely makes sense. Uh, his final team record when he left the team was uh, 124-76-10. This is like, I think I saw it was like about a 60% win rate. So, I mean, it's pretty darn good. In 1966... The AFL and the NFL decided to have a AFL versus NFL championship game, which we know now is the Super Bowl. And in the very first Super Bowl, we had Hank Stram and the Chiefs versus Vince Lombardi and the Packers. Unfortunately, <laughs> Kansas City lost that game. Uh, very sad. Three years later, Hank Stram would get his Super Bowl victory when the Kansas City Chiefs just completely bludgeoned the Vikings 23-7. There is a really funny video from that Super Bowl because Hank Stram was one of the first coaches to actually wear a microphone on the sidelines. So NFL Films, thankfully, has preserved almost all that Super Bowl footage where you can hear Hank Stram just calling out, plays talking smack it's very very funny i will link the video in the show notes it's a really really amazing insight uh if you like football the other thing that i thought was really interesting was that hank stram was an innovator he was the first professional coach to have gatorade on the sideline 
he developed the I formation and the two tight end offense, which is still used in professional football today. And on the defensive side of the ball, he employed the triple stack defense, which is also still used today, which it's really incredible to me that stuff from that early on in football's history is still used to this day. He was inducted into the Football Hall of Fame in 2003, and he passed away in 2005 on July 4th due to complications from diabetes. So I was very excited to talk about Hank Stram because, as I said, gigantic Kansas City Chiefs fan. We are going to talk about somebody who died today, and this one is very fresh in probably a lot of people's minds. Anybody that paid attention to the news in the last 365 days, and especially even just in the last few days as the anniversary has come up. But on January 3rd, 2020, Qasem Soleimani was assassinated in Iraq. Uh, Qasem Soleimani was born on March 11th, 1957, and he was a powerful general in the Iranian military. He wasn't always a military guy. He started out his life working construction. During the Iranian Revolution of 1979, he joined the Revolutionary Guard and began his military service. He was only in his 20s when he became a commander, and in the late 90s, he became the commander of the Iranian Quds Forces, which would be sort of similar to our Navy SEALs in terms of you know, kind of non-traditional combat, um, a little more like clandestine stuff. He assisted the U.S. forces um, in the wars in Afghanistan, fighting against the Taliban. Um, he was instrumental in coordinating the Kurdish Peshmerga forces and the Iraqi Shia military forces in fighting against ISIS. I kind of was a little unsure if I should pick this one or not, because I feel like there is a lot to Soleimani. He was not a good guy. Did he do things that I think were probably okay? Yes. But he definitely was part of state-sponsored terrorism through Iran. I don't think he should have been assassinated. There's a saying that I heard a long time ago that said, one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist, and I think that that would describe Soleimani down to the letter. Um, there was people that just loved him and thought he was the greatest, or like President Trump called him the number one terrorist anywhere in the world, which I would flat disagree with that, but whatever. The assassination of Soleimani touched off a lot of international outcry. Uh, Iran responded to Soleimani's death by launching missiles at U.S. bases in Iraq. Thankfully, no troops were killed over there, but they were there were uh, dozens of troops that were injured. Um, but yeah, it's kind of amazing when you think about everything that happened in 2020, how on the third day of the year, World War Three almost sparked off, and by the end of the year, there was probably a lot of people who forgot that it actually ever happened. The last event that I wanted to talk about today was on January 3rd, 1959, 
Alaska was admitted as the 49th state of the U.S. I was really fascinated when I was doing research on this about how hard it actually was to get Alaska into the Union. Alaska has like a really interesting history that I'm sure all of our Alaskan listeners are like, uh, yeah, we could have told you that. I didn't know much of this. So we're going to talk a little bit about the history of Alaska. So initially from 1867 to 1884, Alaska was seen as a military district. The Department of Alaska, as it was called at the time, was overseen by the Department of War. And all government offices were held by U.S. Army officers. In 1884, the first Organic Act was passed, which allowed to have... In 1884, the first Organic Act was passed, which allowed for Alaska to have actual, uh, actual non-military functioning government. Shortly after the first Organic Act, the Klondike Gold Rush kicked off and the population of Alaska exploded. With it came a lot of new industries that hadn't been very big in the state, but you had a lot of fishing, trapping, mining, mineral production, and it sort of became the lifeblood of Alaska. But the Alaskan government, since it was such a big state, the Alaskan government had very little control over local affairs, and so it was very much this kind of Wild West ideal where it was like, the rugged individuals surviving in harsh weather trying to pan for gold. Alaska as a whole was pretty hands-off until after World War II. In 1949 was when really Alaskan statehood started becoming a thing. In 1949, the House voted on a Alaskan statehood. Uh, it passed in the House 186 to 146 against, but and it was just shot down in the Senate. And what was kind of funny about this whole thing was that the reasoning for it is very similar to the reasoning for Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C., is that one political party was worried about adding new senators of the opposing party. On, in 1952, there was another... Senate vote on Alaskan statehood, it also failed by one vote. And finally, what ended up happening was President Eisenhower referred statehood for Hawaii, which was considered a Republican territory, and Alaska, which was more of a Democratic territory. So what ended up happening was both states got bundled together. And finally, in 1958, in July, there was a vote on statehood for Hawaii and Alaska. And finally, after years and years and years and years of trying to become a state in the Union, on January 3rd, 1959, Alaska formally became the 49th state of the Union. And uh, yeah, I just think it's kind of interesting how territories that want to be states and just because of politics they can't and it would probably be better off if those places could become states so uh yeah it's kind of interesting how there's always stuff like 
time is circular and it's really it's really interesting to see that arguments that were being made in 1950s on why alaska shouldn't be a state are the exact same arguments that are being used now to say why washington dc and puerto rico shouldn't become official states anyways have a wonderful january 3rd and i will see you guys all tomorrow on sunday excuse me monday january 4th one of my favorite days of the year have a great day